my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 528. Welcome in. Uh, seriously, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I am going, we're going to call it full D-bag mode. Uh, I'm, I'm recording at 7 a.m. Uh, because it's winter, and I, by the way, I, I absolutely hate the winter. The sun rises at 7.38 in the morning. So we have another 30 minutes till the sun comes up. At some point while you're watching, if you're watching on YouTube, it's going to get bright around me. But yes, I am wearing my sunglasses in the dark before the sun has come up. Uh, I feel like I need to explain, although I am getting really tired of explaining, and I'm, I'm going to reach a point where I just don't ever tell anyone anymore. But I've got really light-sensitive eyes, and recording in front of the really bright light hurts my eyeballs, so I use sunglasses when I record the show. I like it. It works great. There are also prescriptions so I can see things better. Um, but I get called a D-bag a lot for recording with sunglasses when it's dark outside. So we'll lean into it. Go in full D-bag mode. How crazy is it, by the way, that I, I just want to repeat this. The sun doesn't come up until 7.38 today. I, I hate the cold. I hate the winter. I hate that the sun is at a sideways angle all day. And you get gypped in the winter. You have really short days. The sun just isn't out for very long. Your boy, Zach, not a fan of winter. I just, I, you know, I really, I like the sun being out. I like it being warm. I'm cold and I want to go south. And we're leaving next Tuesday to head south. Uh, and I'm very, very excited about that. Now, we have a sponsor today. Let me ask you this question. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they have forgotten about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or it's a Hulu account that you never use. Well, there's this great app that I use that helps me track all the money I spend. Like, what exactly am I spending and what am I spending it on? I owe a big thank you to Rocket Money. It used to be known as Truebill. The Rocket Money app shows you all of your subscriptions in one place and then cancels whatever you do not want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. This is literally me, by the way. They helped me finally get rid of an $8 fee once a month to SoundCloud every month. I, I didn't like it. I didn't know I was paying for it. They helped me get rid of it. It was pretty awesome. Sometimes you'll find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is hit the cancel button and then Rocket Money will take care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash SOS. It literally could save you hundreds of dollars a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash SOS. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash SOS. All right. Um, legit, they're a good sponsor. I like them. They're awesome. They're good to work with behind the scenes. And I think it's a helpful tool to help you save money. I, I said this last episode, but like, it's pretty rough out there. And you should find a way to save money any way you can right now. Uh, and Rock of Money, I think, can help you do that. Now let's dive into the show. Um, my favorite story in sports right now, across the board is the University of Colorado hiring Deion Sanders as their new head coach. I love it. I absolutely love it. Colorado has gone prime time. They brought in Coach Prime, and it feels like a really big deal. It's definitely very, very interesting. And whether he wins or loses, I guarantee, I guarantee 
watching Colorado with Deion Sanders as their head coach is going to be really fun and really interesting. But I think they're going to win. Like, Deion Sanders' presence, I I just, I'm not even sure how long he's going to be at Colorado because I think this could be a stepping stone job where he's going to do really well, win a lot of games, turn Colorado around. And if he wins a ton of games, you know, big programs with a lot more money and even more, uh, you know, an even bigger fan base that cares, they're going to come knocking an SEC program, a high-level Big Ten program. I, you know, I, I see Colorado as maybe not the final destination even for Deion Sanders. But Deion Sanders has this attitude like it, it feels like he could build a program similar to the classic University of Miami teams, you know, the U that won national titles and had all these great NFL players. The swagger, the confidence, the the bold statements, and I, I really like it. Deion Sanders doesn't feel like a salesman, even though he is. But I, when he talks, I actually believe him. And I really like how direct of a communicator he is. There's a video on a YouTube channel called Well Off Media. It's where Deion Sanders posts all his content. He's got cameramen that follow him. And um, it's it's really a great marketing tool to help him in recruiting, to help him build his brand. Um, I, I assume it's also his media company, Well Off Media. But I've watched the video three different times. And I, it's a gold mine for incredible quotes, really good information, and like, I think a good lesson in direct communication. There's a video called Deion Sanders meets with the Colorado football team players for the first time. I highly, highly recommend you go watch it. Uh, but it's a video of Deion Sanders talking to his new team and his new football players. And it's, again, just chock full of so many great quotes. Now, for background, in case anybody somehow doesn't know, which I, you look, Deion Sanders played a while ago. It's very possible there are people who listen to the show who really aren't familiar with him. He is a, I mean, Deion Sanders is known as primetime. He's this legendary NFL player, a Hall of Famer, truly one of a kind. He was a shutdown corner. He actually played both sides of the football sometimes. Uh, he did some broadcasting work for NFL Network. But recently... Deion Sanders has been coaching at an HBCU college, uh, HBCU school, Jackson State, in Jackson, Mississippi. And what Deion Sanders did for Jackson, Mississippi, was a lot of great work in the community. He helped a lot of, a lot of young men get scholarships and get on the football field and make money. And this year, he had an undefeated season. And on top of that, this is a guy who, at a small program with, like, really crappy facilities, no no knock on, you know, Jackson State, but, like, they're not state-of-the-art, uh, I think, compared to Colorado. It's like going from a high school program to a college, you know, D1 college program. It's literally just a massive jump forward in what they're going to have available to them with Deion Sanders' program. But at Jackson State, he was literally landing top recruits, which is insanity. I mean, he, he got a five-star prospect and stole the kid from Alabama. To come play at Jackson State in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, a tiny little HBCU school. Um, it's really, really cool what he accomplished. And as Deion Sanders is talking to his new team at Colorado, he says a lot of stuff that's pretty harsh. And while it is harsh, it's also very honest and very authentic. And I really appreciate it because it's direct. There's no BS. He maybe says stuff that you don't like to hear. Like... You know, for example, he says a hundred times, I'm coming. He's like, you better believe I'm coming. 
uh, we're going to build this program. I'm coming. And he just every like other phrase, he says, I'm coming. And like, he really wants it known by the players when they walk out of the room, they want, they better know I'm coming. And there's a lot that comes along with that statement. He says, Colorado has way better facilities than he had at Jackson state in Mississippi and says his players at Jackson state would love the facilities at Colorado. There's a gratitude that's missing with the Colorado football program. He says a lot of guys at Colorado, they're ungrateful. They, they really don't appreciate the opportunity they've been given. And by the way, it's so genius to me that Deion Sanders has all of this on video. He's filming the entire interaction. So players can't go on Twitter after his meeting and complain. He can say, look, it's all out in the open. I filmed the entire thing. It's on video. Changes are coming. Like there's this great quote. He says, I'm bringing my luggage and it's Louis, Louis Vuitton. Like he's, you know, I, I'm bringing players with me, better players. So we're going to replace you guys that I'm talking to right now. And there's a series of really, really amazing comments. He says, it's my job to get rid of guys who don't want it and won't work hard. You don't respect the opportunity you've been given. No more mess, no more putting up and losing. I'm changing everything. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing some things and throwing a lot of quotes together. But like he says... He encourages guys, jump in the transfer portal. The more of you that jump in the transfer portal, the more room you make. And then he, at a point, invites questions from players. They're all stunned looking at him just like, what just happened? We got a new coach, and he's challenging us. He's calling us out. He says he's going to replace us. He wants us to transfer away. And they're just really quiet for a minute, like, looking at him. And then he says, don't get outside and start talking when I'm right here. He wants them to ask him questions, and they do, and it's it's so interesting. Like, they ask, what's the offseason going to be like? And Deion Sanders goes, you know, we're going to try to make you quit. Those of you we don't run off and get to transfer, we're going to try to make you quit this football team. We want the guys who stay. We want the guys who want to be here, who want to work and appreciate the opportunity. It's very clear he doesn't have a lot of interest in coaching the players who've cultivated the culture of losing at Colorado. And I I like it, man. I, I just think it's brilliant, actually, this approach. To come out, be honest, be open. It's good for the players, too. I, I think a lot of people may... If there's anyone who misunderstood Deion Sanders' challenge and kind of calling out the players at Colorado, what is really important is he's made his intentions clear. He wants to win. He wants different players, guys who work hard. And I, I think by being so open about it and allowing players the opportunity to enter the transfer portal, he allows them to get whatever they want out of the opportunity, too. So I, I just really appreciate the transparency. For Colorado, I think it's a genius, genius move to hire Deion Sanders. They are a terrible program. They went 1-11 and this year. Colorado is desperate to be relevant. And they're taking a chance on a coach who has never coached at this level before. But Colorado has nothing to lose. And it's even crazier. Like, they don't even know how they're going to pay for the guy. Like, they've admitted we don't have the money yet to pay Deion Sanders. And Deion Sanders clearly is like, I don't need the money. Like, I want to get paid a lot of money for sure. But he played for years. He broadcasted. He's there to help young men and build this program. He's like, we'll figure out the money later. I'm here. I'm taking the opportunity. Let's recruit. I, I like it, man. It's really cool. And it's fun to watch Deion Sanders. There's a video of him like touring the facilities, walking around, just going like, man, this is awesome. And he, he appreciates it. And when you are selling something that you believe in, it's a lot easier. Like I, I would have a hard time I'm trying to imagine something 
Like selling payphones, for example, I, I could not sell payphones to you because I think they're worthless. It's not a valuable thing. But a tool that I think is actually valuable, I think I could sell and work as a salesman if I ever needed to and get another job. When you're recruiting, you're selling players that what you've got going on is good. And Deion Sanders looks around at Colorado and says, it's pretty good. And he's got the perspective of coming from Jackson State, which was not as good as Colorado. I love it, man. Deion Sanders is going to bring a lot of eyeballs to the Colorado Buffalo program. And, you know, by the way, there's this great moment during his interaction. There's a meeting where he's, you know, he's, he's meeting the players for the first time. He says, I'm not going to have guys wearing hats in my meetings. And meanwhile, in the crowd of his new players, like eight, 11, 15 of them all have hats on. And only one guy really picked up on that and takes his hat off and goes, he looks around. And he's like, I'm not clearly he doesn't like us wearing hats. I'm not going to wear my hat anymore. It's the little things. Like, that's the kind of guy that Deion Sanders, I think, might want. A guy who's paying attention to detail. A lot of the players look terrified and bewildered and like they didn't want to be there. I think it's very possible we see a mass migration of a lot, a lot of guys leaving Colorado. And that's good for Deion Sanders. He wants his guys. He wants to build it his way. And it's really interesting, man. You know, win or lose, it's going to be a lot of fun. They're going to generate a lot of excitement and and attention for Colorado. But I I do really think Deion Sanders is going to win. I believe in it. I I love it. He's a player's coach. He's going to recruit a ton of really, really good players. He believes in it. And when you believe in what you're selling, it goes a long way. I think the Pac-12 is going to be better off. You know, USC, I think, should be nervous. University of Southern California, they... Lost to Utah twice this year. They lost in the Pac-12 title game. They missed out on the college football playoff. That's a bad look. So they're going to already, I think, take a small hit recruiting there. But there's this assumption USC is going to dominate the Pac-12. I'll tell you what, man. If anyone can steal recruits away from Lincoln Riley in Southern California, it's Coach Prime. I just I watch too many videos of Coach Prime, and I'm just I'm sucked in. Like I want to run through a brick wall. And I've never met the guy. I haven't played football in a couple of years. Like I'm like, okay, where do I sign up? Like it's crazy the way he's not like it's not a motivational speech in the in the term of you know, um, you see a lot of like sticky people on YouTube. They got the music and it swells up in the background and they say the right words. Deion Sanders isn't saying inspiring stuff. He's actually challenging people and saying, look, I, I have high expectations. You better meet them. And I was watching the video like. Am I going to lose my job? I'm like, wait a minute. No, I don't even play for Coach Sanders. But it's that level of intensity, and I love it. I go back to this. I think Deion Sanders could build a program similar to what I saw when I watched the ESPN 30 for 30, the U, and the Miami Hurricanes of old that were dominant and had NFL players everywhere just beat the crap out of people. It's that level of swagger and confidence and fun. And I just, there's not a lot of people who could get away with being what Deion Sanders is, but he played, he he has this reputation that follows him. I'm sorry, but Nick Saban can't act the same way Deion Sanders does. He didn't play. He's not Coach Prime. He's not primetime. He's not Deion Sanders. And it's just one of a kind moment that I love. And I think Colorado's going to start getting really big recruits. And it's kind of funny, Colorado doesn't even seem to fully understand Deion Sanders. They know he's a good thing. They know they're glad he's coming in. They know it's going to generate attention. But, like, the athletic director 
was introducing Deion Sanders to the team in his meeting. And he's going on about character and all this stuff. And it's like, Deion Sanders doesn't care about any of the fluff he just said. I mean, I'm sure he cares about doing stuff the right way and being a good man and all this stuff. But number one to Deion Sanders is winning and producing and helping young men. I think, honestly, Deion Sanders is building an empire. He's bringing his son with him to be their quarterback. He's got his family everywhere. He's got this big posse everywhere he goes. He makes big entrances. I just, I think right now, it's my favorite thing happening in sports. I am sucked in. I'm drawn to it. I love it. It's fun. It's highly entertaining. I Look up the YouTube channel, Well Off Media. It's like my new favorite reality show. It's so interesting. And I, I just tell you what, man, I think not only is Deion Sanders going to win, he's going to do it with incredible style. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think the college football world has to take notice. Like, he didn't just come in and do this players meeting and say the words, I'm coming like a hundred times for the players in that room. He was sending a message to the rest of the Pac-12. Things are about to change here at Colorado, and you got to contend with me in recruiting, on the field, in everything. And I am going to do everything I can to try to win, and I'm going to bring this confidence and level of swagger like you've never seen before. And I'll tell you what, man. It is my—I've said it like three times. It's the best thing happening in sports. If you haven't paid attention or haven't seen anything going on with Deion Sanders, it is— Wow. Uh, I cannot wait until we get to watch them next year at Colorado. I don't know what it's going to look like year one. It might take a while before they really get winning, but I'll tell you what, I really do believe that Deion Sanders is going to win long-term at Colorado, and maybe he's going to leave. Maybe he's going to go somewhere else after that, but um, my goodness, is it fun what's happening with Coach Prime in Colorado. All right. Um... On Monday morning, Baker Mayfield was released by the Carolina Panthers. He lost his job there. They replaced him with Sam Darnold. And then Baker asked to be released, to be cut. And uh, he wanted to find a new team, so he got that. And I want to say real quick, before we explain where he went and talk about the new team Baker landed on, I was right. I was right all along. I got a lot of hatred from people saying, I don't know that Carolina's a good opportunity for Baker. And maybe I led with the wrong title because I made a video uh, that the title was Baker was better off in Cleveland or Baker should have stayed in Cleveland, something like that. But I wholeheartedly believe that. I, I, I don't think going from Cleveland to Carolina was a good move for Baker Mayfield. It got celebrated by people and I was excited to watch it because it's interesting. But I never thought Carolina was a great opportunity where Baker Mayfield was being set up to win and succeed. And... I just I, I got a lot of anger and vitriol from people when I said that. But case in point, it went terribly this year. Baker Mayfield put himself at risk of not even finding another place to play in the NFL. I was genuinely wondering when we first found out Baker Mayfield got cut by Carolina. I'm like, is anyone going to want him? Is he going to be able to play in the NFL again? I, I don't know. Now, he did get picked up. Uh, Baker Mayfield has a new team. It was claimed off of waivers by the L.A. Rams, and Baker's new team is the L.A. Rams. It makes sense. The Rams quarterback, Matthew Stafford, he's hurt. He's on the IR. He's likely done for the year. The Rams still have five games left this year. They are playing tonight on Thursday Night Football against the Raiders. I cannot imagine 
Baker's going to find a way to play in this game. He's been there for two days, and you just can't in two days become a starting quarterback. Uh, but I think the rest of the year, it gives Sean McVay, the Rams head coach, kind of a fun project and something to live for and work for. You know, when you're, you're the Rams are three and nine, they're not good right now. They need something to focus their attention on to make it fun and exciting for the coaches and the players. And working with Baker Mayfield, I think for Sean McVay, the head coach, is kind of a fun challenge. How good is this kid? Let's get what we can out of him. He's talented. He's a former number one overall pick. Why not bring him in? And uh, again, to, to come to L.A. and be there for like two days and then start a game, that's unrealistic. But right after the Thursday night game tonight, L.A.'s got 11 days off between Thursday night tonight and their next game, Monday Night Football, December 19th. That means Baker's going to get a lot of time to catch up on the system and learn what's going on. I think Monday night, that game, uh, it's December 19, Rams at Green Bay, Monday Night Football. We're going to see Baker Mayfield start for the Rams, and I think it's actually really outstanding because I, I can't imagine myself deeply caring about Monday Night Football, that particular game, without a storyline like Baker Mayfield because the Rams have a losing record. Green Bay's got a losing record. I'm like, ah, you know, I, I don't have a reason to get up and get emotionally invested in this game, but... Oh, Baker Mayfield's making his first start on a new football team? Suddenly, I care. So, if nothing else, one Monday night football game has been saved by the Baker Mayfield story. If that's all we get out of it, I'm happy. Just a, a bit of intrigue for one week is even, I'm cheap and I like chaos, so that's enough for me. But I, I really genuinely like this move. The Rams are 3-9. and nine. They're having a terrible year. And if Baker does leave L.A. this offseason go to another football team... The Rams are going to get a compensatory pick. So there just is no way for the Rams to lose here. And I'm genuinely curious. I think Baker could be pretty good in Sean McVay's system playing for the Rams. I like it. And, you know, I, I think there is not a succession plan after Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford wasn't great this year. I, I think Sean McVay is going to have some fun experimenting here and working with this young quarterback. It's just very interesting. Keep your eye on what happens with Baker Mayfield in L.A. His first game is, again, I cannot imagine he's going to play tonight. He might not even be dressed down uh, for the Thursday night game. But December 19, Rams at Green Bay, Monday night football. I believe Baker's going to make his first start for the Rams. And that genuinely sounds really, really interesting and really, really fun. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Jets quarterback Mike White. On Sunday during NFL Week 13, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Jets 27-22. to And the most interesting story from this football game was the Jets quarterback. They benched their starter, Zach Wilson, and now Mike White is the Jets quarterback. This was his second start, and the Jets did lose 27-22. to but Mike White was 31 for 57 passing. He had 369 yards, no touchdown passes. He did run for a touchdown. He also had two interceptions, which we'll, let's break that down first. Um, the two interceptions by Mike White in this football game were not terrible. Uh, the first one was on the Jets' very first drive of the game. His second one was on the very last drive of the game for the Jets. His first interception was kind of just some bad luck. He's trying to throw a slant. Ball bounced off of, off of his receiver, up in the air, got picked off. 
It's one of those plays where, like, it could have been a slightly better throw, but it also very easily could have been just an incomplete pass. It's It wasn't really a terrible decision. It was actually a, a good idea. Ball was slightly off target, maybe. Probably still should have been caught, bounced up in the air, gets picked off. I can live with that one. And Mike White's second interception on the day was 4th and 10 with 16 seconds left in the game. Ball on the 19-yard line. Down 5 points, 27-22. So it's it's 4th and 10. Mike White's trying to make a play at the end of the game. you got to take a chance downfield. I, I don't walk away from this game against Minnesota holding the interceptions against Mike White. It wasn't a perfect game. The Jets' offense only scored one touchdown. They had five field goals, which is really, really painful. You kick five field goals, you're you're kicking field goals, not touchdowns. And I want to see in the future with Mike White, the Jets do a better job finishing drives. Like they had a first and goal on the six-yard line and got stopped and had to kick a field goal. And then later they had a first and 10 on the 11-yard line. Had to settle for a field goal there as well. Uh, then on another drive after that, later, the Jets got stopped on fourth and goal inside their own one-yard line. Like The Jets did a really poor job of finishing drives to settle for field goals, not getting touchdowns. There is absolutely room for improvement for the Jets' offense and Mike White. But, you know, I, there's another play where he had Garrett Wilson open deep, missed the throw. It was an inaccurate, bad throw. Could have been a touchdown. And there was other missed opportunities, like on that fourth and goal play I referenced uh, Braxton Berrios had a touchdown in his hands and he couldn't hang on as he hit the ground. It's little things like that that need to be cleaned up by the Jets. Um, but all in all, I mean, look, the Jets rookie receiver Garrett Wilson was incredible. He had eight catches for 162 yards. It's very clear to me they nailed the Garrett Wilson pick. He was awesome. He's a stud. I love him. The number one takeaway from this game, uh, Jets in Minnesota, I just maintain that Mike White is the Jets' best quarterback. He runs the offense better than Zach Wilson does. He makes fewer mistakes. He puts the ball in the right spot. He's accurate. He's on time. He's disciplined. He throws a really good ball. Like, yes, Mike White throws a lot of checkdowns. I know it's going to be probably his nickname is likely going to be Captain Checkdown for how often he throws to the flat or throws underneath. Um, Now, number one. These are perfect checkdown throws. I mean, he, he throws swing routes to running backs, hits them right in stride, allows them to catch the ball and cut up field. It's He does the little things very, very well. But on top of that, it's not fair to call, just call Mike White captain checkdown and ignore a lot of throws he does make downfield. Like, it's not that when it's there, he's throwing the ball downfield. He's not only, he's not just doing it when he needs to either. Like, he, he's taking shots downfield. He looks really good. He's got a better arm than I realized. He's totally capable. And... Um, I just don't imagine Zach Wilson coming back anytime soon. Mike White has played well. And in the two games he's started, he's been giving the Jets a chance to win. And, you know, you lost by five points this week to the 10-2 and Minnesota Vikings. I think if Zach Wilson had played, I believe the Jets would have lost really badly. I actually don't think it's what about a close game with Zach Wilson you know, it's Mike White is not amazing. Wasn't amazing in this football game. There's certainly, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what his ceiling is, but he can't run around. There's things that Zach Wilson can do physically, like escaping sacks and running around that you're never going to see from Mike White. He's not very good at throwing off platform, 
But right now, it's very obvious. The Jets' best option at quarterback and the quarterback who gives them the best opportunity to win is Mike White. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I would stick with Mike White probably through the rest of the year. And uh, we're going to get a really interesting opportunity. He's playing at Buffalo this weekend. That would be a great test of how good he really is. Um, you know, they, they beat Buffalo with Zach Wilson. So I can only imagine with a quarterback who I think is better, I on paper, when you say it that way and you sell it that way, you, you could argue that the Jets should win this week at Buffalo. But it's a whole different game. It's a whole different scenario. I just am excited to watch Mike White against a really good football team this weekend at Buffalo and kind of get tested and see where he stacks up to a team that I believe is a Super Bowl contender in, in the Buffalo Bills. So that'll be really fun. But again, Zach Wilson should not come back anytime soon. The best quarterback in New York with the Jets is absolutely Mr. Mike White. All right. Um, on Monday night football, Tampa beat New Orleans 17 to 16. It was kind of an ugly game, honestly, that got really fun in the last five minutes. So, first of all, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line is really, really struggling. It's holding back this Tampa football team. It's holding back Tom Brady. It's holding back the offense. It's part of why they're not winning more games, to be totally honest. The offensive line just makes it almost impossible to run plays and run an offense. Now, Saints quarterback Andy Dalton... Uh, was, I think, solid in this football game. I have arrived at a position where I, I know what Andy Dalton is. He was 20 for 28 passing. That's 229 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Andy Dalton played a really clean game, had no turnovers on the day. And I want to talk about Andy Dalton because he's not awful. Like, Andy Dalton, I would actually defend him if I needed to. He is a, not a terrible quarterback. I respect him. I really loved his leadership on Monday night. He was walking up and down the sideline, encouraging guys. That stuff matters. That's good stuff. That's good leadership. Unfortunately, though, Andy Dalton is just limited. He's got a weaker arm. He can't run around and extend plays. He missed a throw here and there. There's a big throw on third and eight. He missed outside on an out route. You're like, hey, you got to hit that. If you're going to be what you are, you got to be really detail-oriented and can't miss easy ones. Andy Dalton is just okay. He's not awful, but he's also not amazing. And I just, I maintain that Andy Dalton is not the long-term solution to the quarterback position in New Orleans. Now, here is what made this game fun on Monday night. The Saints led 16-3 to with five minutes left in this football game. And what we got was a classic Tom Brady moment. Tom Brady put together two late touchdown drives to win 17 to 16. And the Saints had a chance, by the way. There was a third and 17 late where Andy Dalton threw a great ball to Taysom Hill down the seam. Would have been a first down. Would have pretty much ended the game. The Saints could have ran out the clock after that. Taysom Hill had the ball in his hands and dropped it. He couldn't hang on. So that's a big deal. And it allowed Tom Brady to get the ball one more time. And, you know, during this comeback, Tom Brady had... A really sick throw to Julio Jones where Julio Jones makes his back shoulder catch along the sideline, going up and getting it. And it was fun, man, watching Tom Brady come back and, and beat New Orleans. He threw a touchdown pass, the game-winning touchdown with three seconds left. I got to see flashes of my old favorite players. When I was a kid, I always said, Julio Jones is the best receiver in the NFL. 
And Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the NFL. And I remember just vehemently being like, these guys are incredible. Oh, my gosh. And getting to watch Tom Brady throw the ball to Julio Jones, it's like some kind of fever dream. It's really crazy. I'm like, this is so awesome. If you told me eight years ago Tom Brady would be throwing the ball to Julio Jones, I would have just fell over in my chair. Um, and it's fun to watch. Now, Tom Brady... It's not going well. The Saint, the, you know, the sorry, the Saints, the Buccaneers are six and six. They still somehow lead their division, the NFC South, because their division is terrible. Brady's still got a small little bit of a magic left, and I'll repeat what I've said before: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are just kind of limping their way to a playoff appearance. I don't think Tampa's going to make any noise in the playoffs. They're going to win their division. I'm pretty sure. But with the offensive line struggling the way it is, it's just too much of a limiting factor to allow Tampa to go on any kind of playoff run. Even though they're they're close, man. They got a lot of good players. They got a good defense. But the offense in Tampa just isn't able to get going, and it's because of their offensive line. So those are all the takeaways. Like Andy Dalton is fine but very limited. Uh, the offensive line in Tampa is just not cutting it. And... Watching Julio Jones make a crazy good catch at the end of the game, it just brought me back and made me feel so nostalgic for a, a old time and the days in Madden where I would play with Tom Brady throwing to Julio Jones. Now it's happening in real life, and it just, I can't believe it. It's pretty, pretty crazy. All right, um, I'm going to take a short break. i got to clear my throat and blow my nose. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I realized something. I said the sun is coming up, and and it is, but it's also, like, lightly raining and kind of there are these dark storm clouds outside. So the sun coming up really just means that these dark storm clouds are going to get slightly more bright. It's going to be a pretty dark day, I think, actually. Um, So, like, I don't know how bright it's going to get around here. I might look like a D-bag all episode, actually, recording with sunglasses on. That's okay with me. I've got to come up with a better phrase than D-bag, although it's what most commonly gets said, so I'm just kind of trying to lean into it. But if anyone's got any recommendations, what do we call it? Like, like bright time sounds really stupid. I don't know what to call it. Like, I I don't know, but I wear sunglasses because my eyes hurt, and I record with a bright light. If anyone has any kind of little phrase they can think of that would be cool, D-bag time isn't quite the answer, I think. But I don't know, man. Uh, Let's jump in. Two weeks ago, I watched the Jacksonville Jaguars get a really impressive win and beat Baltimore. And Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars' young quarterback, second-year quarterback, former number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence had the best game of his NFL career against Baltimore, had this game-winning touchdown drive. It was awesome. I walked away stoked and really, really hopeful for the Jaguars and their future and where they're headed. So that was NFL Week 12. Then this past weekend during NFL Week 13, in the very next game, coming off of this great win over Baltimore, game-winning drive, Trevor Lawrence played awesome. In the very next game, Jacksonville got embarrassed 40-14 to by Detroit. And I'm like, I saw the final score, I'm like, what happened? So I watched the game. I took notes, I did my best. Trevor Lawrence was 17 for 31 passing at 179 yards. So 179 yards, one touchdown pass, no interceptions. Had a, a clean game, at least. Uh, it wasn't great, though. They, they didn't score a lot of points. They, you know, completion percentage isn't awesome. Not a lot of yards thrown for. 
I think, number one, you got to acknowledge there were just a lot of drops by the Jaguars. Zay Jones had three drops in the first half. That's not normal for him. Evan Ingram, the drops added up. And Trevor was 17 for 31 passing. That very easily could have been 21 for 31, 23 for 31. So there were a lot of drops. On top of that, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars offense got no help from the Jaguars defense. I mean, Detroit dominated time of possession. They put up points after points after points. When the Jaguars offense finally got the ball for the first time in the second half, they were down 30 to 6. And the Jaguars only got three drives in the second half of this football game. They had a 16-play touchdown drive, then a three and out, and then on their last drive of the game, they were down 40-14. to 14. Trevor Lawrence wasn't even on the field for that because they're like, we're not going to risk the health of our franchise quarterback. It's crazy, by the way. The Jaguars had the ball three times in the second half because of how long uh, the Lions were able to hold on to the football and they have these long, sustained drives. I, you know, there was a scary moment at the end of the first half where Trevor Lawrence got sacked and his leg twisted under a defender, looked really gnarly and was very bad looking at least. He ended up continuing to play and turns out what happened was he got a sprained left big toe and like his plant foot, which is much better than it. If you told me live watching that, I'm like, that's a Joe Theismann play. He tore his ACL, his knee is done. Oh my gosh. Uh, turning out to be nothing, but you know, down 40 to 14 again, end of the game. There's no reason to risk the health of your young quarterback. So Trevor Lawrence got two drives in the second half, which is insanity. It really shows how much the Jaguars' defense was struggling to help their offense. I, I like I walked away from this game thinking the Jaguars just looked like a young team that's still learning, which is exactly what they are. I've got a lot of patience for Trevor Lawrence. He's been a lot better this year than he was last year. And then on top of that, remember, his development got greatly impacted by his time playing under Urban Meyer. I'm going to be very forgiving of Trevor Lawrence because of the nightmare he went through last year and the ways that it got really stunted his growth. But you have to acknowledge it. Trevor Lawrence wasn't great against Detroit. He was coming off this awesome game against Baltimore, game-winning drive. And I, my hopes and my expectations were sky high. I'm like, oh my gosh, things are turning around. And he wasn't great. You know, he missed a... Touchdown to Marvin Jones. It had him open deep. He made a, a bad throw. Should have been a touchdown. But again, I have patience. This offensive line is hit or miss. They've let a lot of pressure get to Trevor Lawrence. Um, and Trevor Lawrence is developing. I think you just got to give it time. I, I just really think it's important to allow time for Trevor Lawrence to develop. He's got a coach who's awesome. He's got a young football team around him. Just let, let's... Middle of next year, we're going to see a much different Trevor Lawrence, I believe, than we're seeing right now. And there's a lot of ups and downs, and it's a roller coaster right now for Jaguars fans. And that sucks, but it's part of developing a young quarterback and trying to turn a terrible franchise all the way around to winning. By the way, I want to point everyone to a interesting column by a Yahoo sports writer, Charles McDonald. Shout out to Charles. They do good work. Uh, he's got a column every week, and there's a segment in his column recently about Jaguars' number one overall pick, Travon Walker. Basically, the point that Charles McDonald makes is that Travon Walker's got a ton of physical potential. He's a really gifted, athletic player. But he's also been putting out a lot of low production value. He's got two and a half sacks this year, only four tackles. 
it's not great. And Charles McDonald made the argument that Trevon Walker is being used wrong. The Jaguars are basically only using him as a stand-up pass rusher where, you know, that's the least effective way he was used in college at Georgia. So Charles McDonald suggested that you get more creative with where you line him up and move him all over the field. And I, I really like that idea. I haven't seen anyone else talk about that with Javon Walker and why he might be struggling. So shout out to Charles McDonald. Go look up his column if you want more info. But um, I think that's a really insightful thought that maybe the problem with Trevon Walker is just that he's not being used properly and allowed to use all of his talents. You're kind of putting him in a box, making him play one way rather than moving him everywhere and using him as an interior pass rusher and a, a guy to affect pressure on the inside and all kinds of stuff. And I, I just think it's very possible that based on what Charles says, the Jaguars are mishandling and misusing uh, their number one overall pick, Trevon Walker. Now, Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff gave a really interesting quote this week. Jared Goff said, I feel like I'm playing the best football of my entire career right now. And I agree with Jared Goff on that. This is a quarterback who once went to a Super Bowl, by the way. So, and I'm not, the, the numbers for Jared Goff, like statistically, may not be as incredible as years past. He's thrown for over 3,000 yards, 19 touchdown passes, seven interceptions. The Lions are five and seven, but five of their seven losses were by one score. And I mean, Jared Goff and the Lions often scored 35 points and lost to Philly, who's got the best record in the NFL. Week one, you lost to Philly 35-38. That's painful. Remember, Jared Goff scored 45 points against Seattle and lost. Lost to Buffalo by three. Lost to Miami by four. This is a competitive football team that's scoring points, and Jared Goff is doing his job. And I really like the idea that maybe Jared Goff is playing better than the year he went to his Super Bowl. That year didn't end great. But I think from Jared Goff's position where he evaluates himself, it's not on the numbers and the touchdown passes and the completion percentage, but like, am I comfortable? Am I making good decisions? And Jared Goff looks like a quarterback who is playing, when it comes from, to a decision-making standpoint, I think very much you could argue Jared Goff is playing the best football of his career. And I think he's doing a better job running the offense himself rather than being micromanaged by Sean McVay and having Sean McVay in his ear telling him where to go and what to do. I just think Jared Goff has done a great job this year. He's definitely done his job, which is to score points and give his team a chance to win. The defense has been the number one problem for Detroit this year. I mean, they've given up the most yards and the most points, but you know, more points and more yards than any other NFL defense this year. And what's interesting about Detroit is that if Detroit really, really wants to replace Jared Goff, they definitely could. They're going to have the resources to do that this offseason. Detroit is going to have two first-round picks in the upcoming NFL draft. If the draft was today, according to, um, oh, what's it called? It's Tankathon. Tankathon, thank you. Tankathon.com. According to Tankathon.com, if the draft was today, the Lions would have the number 15 overall pick and the number four overall pick. That number four overall pick comes from their trade with the LA Rams, Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff. But look, man, Detroit's in a really good spot right now. They're winning. And so, well, they're not winning a lot, but they're, they're turning these around. They've won recently. I think they're playing well. The offense certainly is. And 
A big question is, will Detroit draft a quarterback or not? Because they could stick with Jared Goff and use their two first-round picks to draft two players that can have an impact and help them win next year. Maybe the 15th overall pick, they draft a, I don't know, an offensive lineman. Maybe with the number four overall pick, they draft a really good defensive player, build their defensive line even more. What if they drafted two defensive linemen in the first round and got just a loaded, scary front four, which I'll tell you what, I think the best way for the Lions to win and help their defense is to get a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. If they drafted a pass rusher and a defensive tackle that made an impact immediately, that could go a long way. I like that thought. Um, I think the best way to help your defense, help your secondary, and you have guys getting beat uh, deep and stuff, make the opposing quarterback uncomfortable. You want to know how to beat the team leading the division, the Minnesota Vikings? You hit their quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Make him uncomfortable in the pocket. You got Aiden Hutchinson already. You had two more defensive linemen in the first round. The rich get richer. I think that would be incredible for the Lions, personally. Quarterback is not a huge need for the Lions, but they're going to have a decision to make. They do have Jared Goff under contract. Um, I don't think his salary cap hit is insane. Like, you can decide for yourself, but he's going to be a $30 million salary cap hit next year. It's 31 the year after. It's certainly not cheap, but it's not horrible when you look around the league and consider that, you know, Dak and Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers are all making like $40 million a year. I, I think it's fine. It's, you know, and... If Detroit wants to cut Jared Goff, they can. They can do it this offseason. They would only owe him $10 million in dead cap space. But um, that seems kind of crazy to cut him right now, given how well Jared Goff is playing. So I'm really curious, what is Detroit going to do? They could try to bundle their two first-round picks and try to trade up even further in the draft. I don't think that makes any sense, though, unless you're able to get the number one overall pick where you can draft Bryce Young. If let's be clear, if Detroit can replace Jared Goff with Bryce Young, you do it in a heartbeat. But that's not going to be possible. And you could draft maybe Anthony Richardson, the quarterback out of Florida, or Will Levis, but that's not really an upgrade. And and Anthony Richardson's going to be amazing eventually, but not anytime soon. Maybe you draft him 15th overall if he's still there. I, I maintain I think the best way for Detroit to build their their offense and build their defense and help their football team is just to drop defensive linemen because that is the way you're going to change the the fortune of your defense is to make opposing quarterbacks uncomfortable. And you look at Dallas, you look at Philly, you look at the 49ers. Why are they winning? Why are they playoff teams? It's because they make opposing quarterbacks really, really uncomfortable on defense. And that's what Detroit needs to do, to do in my opinion. So I really hope Detroit will stick with Jared Goff as their quarterback. They've got this great opportunity with two first-round picks to really build around Jared Goff. I just hope they do that. You know, quarterback is just simply not a need for them, but they could draft a quarterback if they want to. But I just I want to see Detroit stay patient with their head coach, Dan Campbell. I want to see them build around Jared Goff. But I'm, I'm curious what Lions fans have to say. So if you're a Lions fan, I, I actually... Please do write in. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you want your team to do? I think Jared Goff is the answer. You stick with him. You build around him. He's clearly not why they're losing and why they're 5-7. and seven. They've lost a lot of games because their defense is terrible. But Lions fans, I want to hear from you. What do you guys have to say? Let me know. 
Um, I just, I, I'm really, really fascinated from you guys to hear from you guys. And, uh, I want you to write in and tell me what you guys want from your football team. I hope you draft two defensive linemen in the first round next year. Build that defensive line. Take the pressure off your secondary. Get after opposing quarterbacks. It'll help you stop the run. It'll help you get after quarterbacks in the passing game. Um, and a good defensive line can really elevate the play of everyone else on your defense. And I, I just really like that thought. So that's what I would do if I was alliance with two first-round picks. One of them probably a top-five pick, which is awesome. They could draft a quarterback, and Lions fans, please write in. Let me know what you guys want them to do and what you would do if you were the Detroit Lions organization. All right, we got kind of a funny small story. The Tennessee Titans have fired their general manager, John Robinson. It's a really interesting time to fire John Robinson. Uh, It's right after a bad loss to Philly, 35-10. to In that game, A.J. Brown, a receiver that Tennessee had traded away to Philadelphia, A.J. Brown had a monster game. Eight catches for 119 yards, two really big touchdown catches, one where he's wide open, one where he posterized a defender. And I think A.J. Brown doing so well after being traded away, I think that mattered. I think that was the last straw for the Titans' ownership. John Robinson did some good stuff in Tennessee. I don't want to have this have the tone of a hit piece because it's not. But uh, he also did draft multiple players who did not work out. Like the worst one by far was Isaiah Wilson, uh, the Titans' 2020 first-round pick who played literally one game, got cut, didn't work, had you know problems off the field and wasn't present and seemed like a guy who was actually really struggling. But I think you could argue, given how bad, actually, the Titans have been at drafting in the first round, you could argue that Tennessee has won in spite of John Robinson, their general manager. He did some good stuff, man, but he had too many misses, in my opinion. And I know it looks weird to fire a general manager midseason, but I think when you look back at what happened, it kind of makes sense. And he was there for seven years as their general manager. He missed on a bunch of first-round picks. He traded A.J. Brown away. More likely, and better way to put it is, he couldn't keep A.J. Brown. He gave Ryan Tannehill $118 million. It seems like this team in Tennessee has hit their ceiling. They can't beat Buffalo. They can't beat Kansas City. They're just kind of stuck there, and they're not going to win a Super Bowl this way. I don't know. I, I, I get how it's kind of rash, and clearly some kind of an emotional firing, in my opinion, to fire the guy midseason. But uh, the Tennessee Titans want to try something different, and I can't really blame them, given how much he struggled drafting their general manager, given that the team appears to have hit a ceiling with the way they're built, given the fact that you're paying your quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, way too much money, in my opinion. Um, I think you look at all things considered and say, yeah, John Robinson made enough mistakes that it makes sense to fire him, actually. By the way, um, Buffalo Bills star pass rusher Von Miller is now out for the year. He tore his ACL, and at first it was a minor knee injury. Buffalo put him on the IR. Uh, They were trying to be safe. They're like, hey, we'll give him some time. He needs only two weeks maybe, but we'll give him four to really make sure he's healthy for the playoffs. And then I guess in surgery, they learned that actually Von Miller tore his ACL. 
which is wild and a really, really big blow to Buffalo and their season. The reason why Buffalo signed Von Miller this offseason was so that he could help them in the playoffs and help them make a Super Bowl run. Now he's not going to be available. And Buffalo's dealt with a couple injuries this year. Most notable are safety Micah Hyde and now Von Miller. If Buffalo doesn't win a Super Bowl this year, I think injuries might be something people look and point to and go, oh man, woulda, coulda, shoulda. You know, it's it's a missed opportunity. If you have this good of a football team and you don't win, it's it's the little things you look back on and go, man, what if he'd had Von Miller healthy? What if Micah Hyde hadn't gotten hurt? What if this? What if that? It's the what ifs. And having Von Miller miss their entire playoff run feels like a really big what if of like, oh man. Can you imagine if in the AFC title game against Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes, he could have had Von Miller getting after that quarterback. Can you imagine if in the Super Bowl when we played Philly, if we could have had Von Miller disrupting things and making Deshaun, you know, making Jalen Hurts really uncomfortable? It's a problem losing Von Miller. And I just, uh, it hurts, man. The Bills are capable. They're a good football team, but they are certainly worse off now without their star pass rusher, Von Miller. Now, uh, 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo may not be out for the year. We learned he was. He, had, he broke his foot, was out for the year. Apparently, um, you know, this foot fracture he has against Miami last weekend, this foot fracture doesn't need surgery, which means that Jimmy Garoppolo is out seven, eight weeks, basically right in time for their playoff push if they make the playoffs. And it's really interesting. The 49ers are four and eight. Sorry, sorry. Uh, the 49ers are eight and four. Eight and four. Eight wins, four losses. The 49ers are first in the NFC West. And rookie quarterback Brock Purdy did pretty well replacing Jimmy Garoppolo last week. He's going to make his first ever start this weekend. I've got a lot of questions moving forward for the 49ers. I mean, first of all, can the 49ers keep it going and make the playoffs without Jimmy Garoppolo? But if they do make the playoff with Brock Purdy as their quarterback, and Brock Purdy's playing well, are you going to bench the guy who's got a hot hand? You're going to go back to Jimmy Garoppolo? What if you lose and you're always wondering, ah, what if he's stuck with Brock Purdy? But I'm also curious how Brock Purdy plays. I mean, are they going to win because of him? Or is it possible that Brock Purdy survives and they win, but they're just winning because they got a good football team and Brock Purdy can't really hang and hold his own? I don't know yet. But, um, you know, Brock Purdy's a seventh-round rookie draft pick who now has this massive opportunity ahead of him. And I like it, man. It's fun drama. It's Brock Purdy's first-ever start this weekend. He's starting on Sunday against none other than the Tom Brady. And can you imagine if Brock Purdy, in his first-ever NFL start, beats Tom Brady, the kid from Northern California, playing his favorite team, the 49ers? That's a cool possibility to beat Tom Brady with the 49ers. I, I love that idea. And uh, keep your eye on what happens this weekend with the 49ers in Tampa. The storyline to me is that it's Brock Purdy making his first ever NFL start. And how does he play as the 49ers quarterback? All right, I got two topics left. Real quick, though, I need to take a short break. I got to drop some, get some water and make a phone call. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right Back. All right, we are back. Let's talk about 
the college football playoff. Here is the final college football playoff top four ranking. The top four teams are number one, Georgia, number two, Michigan, number three, TCU, and number four, Ohio State. And I absolutely love this. I actually think, considering the situation and what went down, this is a nearly perfect top four. Georgia will play Ohio State in the first round of the college football playoff. TCU will play Michigan. The winners will play each other for the national title. Uh, Both games are New Year's Eve, by the way, in case you don't know, that's the 31st of December. Here is uh, what happened and how we got here. It's really, really fun. Last weekend was championship weekend in college football. All the conferences had their conference title game. Going into the weekend, the top four was Georgia, Michigan, number three, TCU, and number four, USC. Two games uh, uh, for these four teams went as expected. And games for two of these teams did not go as I expected. Uh, First of all, you know, two teams in the top four lost. So Georgia won the SEC title game. They beat LSU 50-30. to The game wasn't close. Georgia led 35-10 to at halftime. Stetson Bennett, Georgia's quarterback, was 23 for 29 passing at 274 yards, four touchdown passes. He dominated. Georgia dominated. It was awesome. I expected Georgia to beat LSU. And then also, as expected, Michigan won. They beat Purdue in the Big Ten title game 43 to 22. But TCU and USC, they lost their conference title games. And, you know, on Friday night, first of all, the, the game to open the weekend. In the Pac-12 title game, USC beat sorry Utah beat USC 47 to 24. USC had this golden opportunity to make it into the college football playoff, and they lost to Utah. All they had to do was win, and they got in, and they couldn't make it happen. Frankly, the the way to put it is that USC choked, and USC they only lost two games all year, had a great season, but. Those two losses were to Utah. And I think it's kind of fun. I like the way it went down because USC is expected to dominate the Pac-12 now that their head coach is Lincoln Riley. And Utah said, ah, hold up. Not so fast. I don't think uh, your dominance is ready to begin. And I I love this because long-term, it's so good for the rise of USC. USC has a legitimate challenger. When they hired Lincoln Riley, they got all these recruits, people transferred in, they've got all this NAL money. The expectation was it's pretty much a guarantee USC is going to dominate the Pac-12 for years to come. They're going to go back to their old prominence. And, you know, Utah beat them twice this year. Deion Sanders just went to Colorado. I like that it's going to be a mystery still whether or not USC can dominate the Pac-12. Look, Colorado and Deion Sanders are going to recruit really hard. They're going to steal recruits away from USC, I believe. And Utah, again, you beat USC twice in the same year. I think Oregon's really good. I just, I go back to this. It's not a guarantee USC is going to dominate the Pac-12. I still think they will long-term. Eventually, they're going to have a team full of Lincoln Riley recruits, not recruited by the old head coach. But I am really, really fired up and kind of excited, actually, that USC lost. I think it's good for the health and the interest level of the Pac-12. 
Now, I was really sad for USC quarterback Caleb Williams. In this loss to Utah, Caleb Williams gave everything he had. He played beat up. He was running around a ton. He made a ton of ridiculous plays. He made defenders miss and avoided sacks. And if you haven't watched the game, go watch the highlights at least and go watch the incredible plays Caleb Williams made. And if USC had won this football game, been, you know, if they'd remained the top four team in college football, they were, made it into the college football playoff, they'd be scheduled to play Georgia. If USC had won, I believe Caleb Williams would be guaranteed, basically, to be the Heisman Trophy winner. He still could win. It announces on Saturday. We'll find out who the Heisman Trophy winner is going to be. But ending with a loss, I think, really does hurt Caleb Williams. And maybe they can overlook that. I mean, we saw, we've seen quarterbacks who didn't win the national title and you know, didn't have the most glamorous end of their year. Lamar Jackson didn't have a, didn't make a college football playoff. Uh, Johnny Menzel didn't win a national title. He won a Heisman Trophy. You can win the Heisman Trophy without winning a national title, but ending with a loss really hurts. And I just want to also say it's pretty crazy USC did lose this football game. They were handed a second chance. They screwed up earlier in the year. They lost to Utah. They, they blew what I thought was their only chance at making the college football playoff. And then the college football playoff selection committee said, we'll give you a second chance. And I went, oh my gosh, they're going to make it in. I can't believe it. And they blew it again, which I, oh my gosh. And you can't really blame USC's quarterback, Caleb Williams, for the loss. I mean, USC's defense was awful, like had an all-time bad game. They couldn't tackle anybody. And sometimes I talk about Caleb Williams like he's Superman or something because he does basically everything. He does everything but play defense. And USC's defense cost this you know, program everything, really. A chance at the college football playoff, a chance at really kind of making their name and planting their flag and saying USC is back. Utah's offense had 533 yards, six touchdowns, and USC gave up 47 points. You just, you're not going to win, and you can't expect to win giving up 47 points in a game. Now, the other surprise of the weekend, I was shocked USC lost. But the other surprise from championship weekend was that TCU lost. K-State beat TCU in the Big 12 title game 31-28 in overtime. It was a heartbreaking loss. TCU had opportunities. I, I love, love, love TCU quarterback Max Duggan. And the dude fought so hard. He gave everything he had. Uh, I have no idea who's going to win the Heisman on Saturday. But what I saw from Max Duggan on Saturday, like, he was so tired he had to, like, have help get off the field. I'm like, that guy looks like a Heisman Trophy winner. I, I, I just, it wouldn't be shocking to me if he won the Heisman Trophy, actually. I think he had a, despite, between the two quarterbacks who lost, Caleb Williams or Max Duggan, I thought Max Duggan at least lost in a more valiant way. Like he gave everything he had and he was a lot closer to winning. But it was the second time TCU had played K-State this year. And in the rematch, K-State got him. You know, K-State finally beat TCU. And it's the first time TCU lost all year. They went 12-1, and which is... It stings, man. It's really bad. TCU had such an incredible, fun year, and for them to not finish undefeated is uh, really, really unfortunate and sad for them. However, um, they still made it into the college football playoff, actually, which is pretty wild. Um, you know, when both number three-ranked TCU and the number four-ranked USC lost, 
I just automatically assumed that number six ranked Alabama and number five ranked Ohio State were going to both move up and take the two spots and both get elevated. And close, but not quite. Um, Despite losing one game, TCU actually held their position third in the college football playoff ranking. Ohio State moved up, replaced USC, but Alabama did not move up. And I loved that because... I felt so bad last weekend, you know, going into last weekend, I said, I'm rooting against TCU. And I felt bad saying that, but I I just felt like it was wrong for Ohio State to miss out and not make it into the college football playoff. Because I genuinely believe that this Ohio State football team is one of the four best teams in the country. And, you know, I'm glad TCU made it in. They had such a fun, amazing year full of crazy wins and crazy moments. I, I think what happened for me was... It was just unthinkable that USC was going to lose. I did not even once consider the fact that maybe Utah was going to beat USC, which is kind of laughable now because they already beat them earlier in the year. But I just really thought Ohio State deserved a spot in the top four. I figured the only way for Ohio State to break into the top four was for TCU to lose. It was the most likely team to lose. I could not have imagined USC was going to lose or that both of them would lose. And... You know, the top four now is Georgia, Michigan, number three, TCU, number four, Ohio State. And I love that because one more time, Ohio State to me is a top four team in college football. They are one of the four best teams in the country. The way it worked out, they lost to Michigan, so they couldn't play for the Big Ten title game. That's because the Big Ten is kind of dumb and has two different, the East and the West. If it was the two best teams in the Big Ten, you would have had Ohio State playing Michigan in a rematch. And maybe in the rematch, Ohio State would beat Michigan. You never know. So I think of the teams that could be ranked four, Ohio State is the most likely to actually challenge Georgia of any team available. Uh, And so I'm really glad Ohio State made it in. Not an Ohio State fan. I just think that they deserve it. And here's how you justify TCU getting in very easily. You go, well, even though TCU lost the Big 12 title game to K-State, only three teams won 12 or more games this year. Georgia and Michigan went 13-0. TCU went 12-1. No other team won more than 11 games in college football. And they went to a conference title game. I think you can easily justify TCU. They they deserve it. They earned it. Um, I, and I think the way TCU is built on offense is very similar to uh, Purdue, actually, with a more mobile quarterback. So I think Purdue... Gave Michigan an interesting battle in the Big Ten title game. I think similarly, I don't know that TCU is going to beat Michigan, but I think they're going to score. I think it's going to be interesting and fun, and I'm excited for that. I think that um, TCU is actually an interesting matchup for Michigan. I'm so glad that both TCU and Ohio State got in. You know, Alabama to me was totally undeserving. I thought Alabama was going to leapfrog TCU when TCU lost. And I was so sad. Can you imagine if the top four in the college football playoff were Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama? How boring that would have been to have the usual suspects, the teams we have every year, two Big Ten teams, two SEC teams. Oh, of course, Alabama's back. Everyone would have rolled their eyes. They were a two-loss football team. Plus, they barely beat Texas. I don't know. It would have been two rematches also. Georgia played Alabama earlier this year. Ohio State already played Michigan. The way it would have worked out is Ohio State would have been ranked ahead of Alabama. I just, it would not have been good for college football to have those two rematches and only two conferences representing them. 
And Alabama just did not deserve it, in my opinion. So I'm really glad we got the top four we did. TCU getting in is awesome. In spite of their loss, I'm glad they're there. I did not fathom a reality where USC lost. Blind spot for me, I just totally assumed. They were gifted a crazy opportunity. USC was handed another chance to make it in. And they blew it, which I, man, I'm glad though, because I, I genuinely think Ohio State deserved to get in. And if, you know, Michigan, Georgia, TCU, and USC had all won, Ohio State would have missed out, and that would have been a bigger tragedy. Like, when it came down to it, I, I all weekend talked about how I want to see TCU lose because I want to see Ohio State get in, and USC is going to be more fun. But I, I actually I cared more about Ohio State getting in than I cared about TCU losing. I wasn't rooting against TCU. I just thought it was right for Ohio State to get in. And my brain got tunnel vision, and I didn't see a way in for Ohio State other than TCU losing. And what happened was even more bizarre and more unexpected, but I I like the Final Four we got. It's awesome. And four deserving teams. But again, we need expansion. I'd love to have even more teams so there isn't this weird debate and I— this uneasy feeling like, is there a team being left out? And I also think there's teams playing in bowl games that don't matter and aren't as interesting. I want a bigger college football playoff. I know it's coming. I can't wait for that day. I just think it's going to be good for the sport and make it even more interesting come the end of the year. Um, You know, replacing more boring bowl games with interesting, meaningful matchups. I love that thought. So I'm excited for college football playoff expansion, but Uh, The top four we got, I'm grateful for, and I really like it. And, you know, the fact that Ohio State got in feels like justice and feels right to me. And it makes me very, very happy. All right. Um, Now, we just had a ton of quarterback movement in college football. Number one is this. Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson is leaving college and has declared for the NFL draft. He's leaving early. And I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I don't care. What you think, to me, Anthony Richardson is my number two quarterback available in the NFL draft. It's Bryce Young and then Anthony Richardson. Now, they are vastly different players. Bryce Young is ready to play in the NFL. Anthony Richardson is not at all. Uh, But I am begging, begging the New York Giants and Brian Dable to please draft Anthony Richardson. I saw... Brian Dable develop Josh Allen in Buffalo. We got another guy similarly talented with Anthony Richardson, who I think could be available in the Giants draft. He's a guy who, because he's not really ready, he's not very polished, he's really raw and talented, but he's got a lot of growing to do as a quarterback. I think it's possible he's going to fall in the draft, but I don't think he leaves the first round. I would absolutely draft him the first round. And I, I can't say this enough. Anthony Richardson is not ready to be an NFL starter. He's got to sit. He needs to learn. But he is insanely, insanely talented. Anthony Richardson is the most talented quarterback in college football, at least he was this last year. He runs the ball at a high level, like a running back. He's got this insane arm, massive. Like, he throws the ball differently. It looks like Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. It's a different level of arm talent. It just comes out of his hand better. It's a it's a gun, dude. It's crazy how much power he can put behind the football. Talent-wise, I really believe Anthony Richardson is up there with 
Justin Fields and Josh Allen, this guy who can run around and make plays, but also has a cannon for an arm. Um, he's the one. He He's the ridiculous. He's better than Trey Lance was, if I'm totally honest. And physically gifted-wise. Like, he's got work to do. He's got a lot of things to learn. He makes too many mistakes throwing the football. Anthony Richardson was far from perfect this year in college football. He had 17 touchdown passes, nine interceptions. He also ran for nine touchdowns. Florida went six and six. They had kind of an ugly year. But I watched Josh Allen make a lot of mistakes in college at Wyoming. And where he is today compared to where he was his senior year at you know Wyoming, totally different quarterback. And I would absolutely draft Anthony Richardson in the first round of the NFL draft. Teach this kid how to play for quarterback. If I'm any kind of coach, I have confidence. Yeah, I can work with this kid. I can teach this kid how to play quarterback. But Anthony Richardson can do stuff that physically you can't teach and cannot be done by other human beings. His ability to run, his massive arm. Um, I, he's he's a unique, incredibly gifted prospect. He's, you know, way more talented than Malik Willis was. He's got a better arm than... Trey Lance does, frankly. Um, I he runs the ball really, really well. I I I'm telling you what, like, I will pound the table for Anthony Richardson. I would draft him in a heartbeat. I would teach him how to play quarterback. And he is one of the guys who not a lot of people like if Washington can draft Anthony Richardson, that's I, I've said many, many times about the Washington football team. The benefit to having Taylor Heineke is that he's He's duct tape. He's not a long-term solution to quarterback, but he's good enough. He's a duct tape quarterback. He's good enough for now. And having Taylor Heineke, who can win and do okay, gives you the, buys you time to wait until a really incredibly gifted quarterback comes along that you can draft. And you don't need to, you know, make a move on a guy like Will Levis. But you, when you see a guy who's got potential to be a top five quarterback in the NFL, because he's that physically gifted, you go make that move. If Washington can draft Anthony Richardson out of Florida, sit behind Taylor Heineke for two or three years, teach him how to play quarterback, oh my goodness, that's a terrifying thought. And and that thought means if Washington should have him on their radar, so should the Giants. Because are you telling me you want your in-division rival to get the quarterback you could draft? Like... I, this kid is going to go a lot higher than people realize. He's not on anyone's radar, but he's that talented. And I would draft Anthony Richardson in the first round. I was surprised he came out, but also he probably doesn't want to do class. He probably wants to go play football full time. He's, he's, I really think he's got it. And, um, you know, I, he's my number two quarterback in the NFL draft. If I'm a coach in the NFL, I'm drafting him, and I'm going to teach him how to play quarterback. It's going to take a couple of years. So does Josh Allen. So do a lot of quarterbacks. He's raw. He's not ready. But you give him good coaching. Anthony Richardson is going to become a monumentally talented quarterback. He already is talented. He's going to be, if you teach that talent level good habits, oh my goodness, it's over for the rest of the NFL. And I, I really, really strongly believe in Anthony Richardson. Um Kentucky's quarterback, Will Levis, has also declared for the NFL draft. He's skipping Kentucky's bowl game. I'm less excited about Will Levis, honestly. Uh, I'm told he's amazing. Okay. I haven't seen it yet from Will Levis. I've watched him play five times this year. I feel like I need to see more film to maybe... Because I'm I'm so 
opposite of everyone else. I'm being told he's a franchise quarterback. He's great. And he's a great leader. I like him as a person. I don't see top five quarterback franchise quarterback. Like I don't I see like Ryan Tannehill, which is fine, but I don't get fired up for the possibility to draft Ryan Tannehill. Like, can your quarterback be Patrick Mahomes? Oh, he's got no no hope of ever being in the same stratosphere as Patrick Mahomes. Next, don't care. <laughs> you know, Will Levis is fine. Franchise quarterback, I don't see it. I saw a lot of times where Levis, Will Levis needed to play well at the end of a game and didn't this year. He didn't deliver in big moments. That matters to me. Go watch the Florida game, actually. Go watch head-to-head Will Levis against Anthony Richardson. You'll go, oh, well, Will Levis, unimpressive. So let me do me let me do more research. I don't feel fully comfortable saying, you know, Will Levis isn't a franchise quarterback without watching even more film and really doing a deep dive. But Based on what I saw this year, I'm like, I don't trust the media at all. I mean, told he's incredible, but I don't see it. I, I don't trust what you tell me. I trust my own eyeballs. And what my eyeballs saw was Will Levis is very, very underwhelming. And uh, I'll do more research and get back to you. But I'm like, eh, not that excited about this kid. Now, uh, how about quarterback movement transfer-wise? A lot of quarterbacks are transferring in college football. Clemson quarterback DJ Uyungle has entered the transfer portal. DJ struggled a lot this year. He had this awesome game against Wake Forest, and that was a high point of the year by far. I believe he had five touchdowns. After that, it was all downhill, and he had a whole lot of bad games at Clemson. Now, halfway through the first quarter of the ACC title game, DJ was benched for freshman quarterback Cade Klubnick. And uh, Clade, Clade, Cade Klubnick played really, really well. And after the game, Cade Klubnick was named the Clemson starting quarterback moving forward, which is the right decision. I've been calling for that all year. I'm glad it finally happened. So DJ lost his job. He's now transferring away from Clemson. I personally think DJ Uyungle, he's a kid from the LA area, went to St. John Bosco. I think he's got kind of a big head and Think he should be the man somewhere, which I I get it. That's what he's been his whole life. Honestly, though, I think he's a bit overrated. Um, I think he's got a lot of growing to do as a quarterback. I worry he's going to transfer somewhere, some kind of big school, and then get beat out or not get on the field because I I just think he's not that great. He's made a lot of mistakes. If I were DJ, I would go play at like Eastern Washington University, a small D1 AA school, be the man. Be their starting quarterback for a couple of years, win a national title, make a name for yourself, go somewhere you're guaranteed to start. And at worst case, you can play in the Canadian Football League or maybe get a shot at the NFL. But uh, I worry if DJ picks a college poorly, he's going to end up as a backup somewhere, not playing and struggling. Kind of like who is a kid who left um, uh, Kelly, Kelly Bryant? Was that his name? Kid who left Clemson ahead of Trevor Lawrence, who went to Missouri and kind of, you know, shriveled away into obscurity. Like, I I don't know that DJ is going to help himself out. His ego is probably going to, I think, hurt him a little bit. Um, And DJ's got to be careful where he goes because, dude, he put out a lot of bad film. He he is not, not, I think, the quarterback he thinks he is. He wants to be the man somewhere. The way you do that, you go to a small-level program, I think, and go be the man at a small-level program, get a lot of playing time, have a lot of fun. And uh, if the NFL works out, it does. But... Does DJ Uyungle want to be a backup at a bad program? I don't think so. That's not a fun life. Um, Boston College quarterback Phil Yurkovich 
is transferring to Pittsburgh. <clears throat> he uh, was born there in Pittsburgh. He was a starter at Boston College for the last three years. And uh, the team around him this fall at Boston College was absolutely awful. I felt bad for him. Go watch the Boston College Notre Dame game. You're like, that poor kid. I think he's a good quarterback. Got no help around him. As a result of Phil Yurkovich going to Pittsburgh, Pitt quarterback Keaton Slovis is transferring away from Pitt. And I am really curious where he goes. I'm a big fan of Keaton Slovis. I love the guy. Friend of the show. He's been on the show. I just want to say I'm rooting for Keaton Slovis. I don't know where he's going to go. Um, I have some ideas. Um, you know, I, I I don't have any, no sourcing here, but Kenny Dillingham uh, is a new coach at Arizona State. And Keaton Slovis grew up in Arizona. Um went at Desert Mountain High School. I don't know. Maybe he goes home. I, I have no idea. But I, I'm really curious where Keaton Slovis is going to go. On top of that, NC State quarterback Devin Leary is transferring. He wants to play on a better team. Uh, can't really blame him. I think Devin Leary has got one more year left of eligibility. And Devin Leary wants to prove himself to the NFL. Show the NFL, I've got what it takes. I can play and be a franchise quarterback. He's going to go somewhere that gives him an opportunity to better showcase his skill set. And I, I fully support that. Another quarterback available that really surprised me is Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders. He was the starter at OK State for the last four years. It is very rare for a four-year starting quarterback to be available in the transfer portal. That's crazy. He got an extra year because of the blanket uh, extra year given to everyone who was around in 2020 during the Roney year. So it's very interesting. Spencer Sanders is going to be available. Where could he go? I don't know. But um, that's a really good quarterback available to whoever wants him. Now, there are a couple teams that might take a transfer quarterback. Alabama is one of them. If they lose Bryce Young to the NFL draft, I guess they Spencer Sanders to Alabama, maybe that wins a national title. I don't know. But keep your eye on that. Um, Notre Dame is out there. They need a quarterback. Uh, Florida, you know, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's maybe where Keenan Slovis could end up going. I don't know. That, that, that's a possibility. Um, Florida just lost their quarterback to the NFL draft. Wisconsin's got a new coach, Luke Fickle. Maybe they want a new head, new quarterback. Graham Mertz, their quarterback under the transfer portal. Looks like he's going to leave. So who is Wisconsin going to bring in to be their new quarterback? Um, I don't know. There's a couple big names to keep your eye on in the transfer portal that could go to big-name schools. I mean, again, Alabama's out there. Notre Dame, Florida, Wisconsin. There are big-time programs who are going to need a quarterback. Um C.J. Stroud is going to go to Ohio State. I don't know who C.J. Stroud's backup is, but hey, maybe a big name goes to Ohio State to be their quarterback next year. That's not a crazy out-of-left-field thought. Justin Fields transferred in. So, you know, there are two more big names I haven't talked about. Uh, Brendan Armstrong out of Virginia. The lefty is really, really good. And then Hank Bachmeyer out of Boise State. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer at one point I thought was going to be an NFL quarterback. Hasn't worked out that way. But I, I'm still interested in where he goes, and I'm very, very curious where all these quarterbacks go. It's quarterback free agency in college football is basically what it is, and I absolutely love it. It's so good for the game. It's so good to get quarterbacks moving around and going to better places that work for them. And um, a lot of quarterbacks out there that I'm very, very interested to see where they land. All right. Um, tonight, the Raiders play the Rams on Thursday night football. It's an awful game. I don't care much. I will watch it. I will do my very best. I'll take notes and really try to care. The Raiders are five and seven. The Rams are three and nine. Um, the Rams have, 
You know, I, I cannot imagine the Rams who added Baker Mayfield like two days ago are going to start Baker Mayfield at quarterback. He's not going to be ready to play. Like, there isn't no, ain't no way Baker Mayfield's ready. Um, it's just kind of a meh, like, ugly game. The Raiders better win, by the way. Like, the Raiders, the Raiders are trying to turn things around, and, you know, it's been a horrible year for them. You're playing a terrible Rams team that's 3-9. and nine. The Raiders, like, the pressure's on. The Raiders better win tonight. And if they don't, that's uh, it's an even bigger stain on the year they've had. Um, you know, I, I was going to do a NFL preview for this weekend, but I looked at all the games, and the games are not that exciting. They're not that interesting. Like, I think what I'm going to end up doing is some kind of a— uh, I, I like giving people some kind of content to lead them into the weekend. I'm recording again tonight after Thursday Night Football. going to sleep, watch the game, then record again. I think in the next episode, I'm going to do some kind of, I don't know if it's going to be a predictions topic or a best storylines topic, but I want to give out like the five best storylines going into this weekend because there are some interesting things, but the games, like there's not a lot of games that I find super compelling this weekend in the NFL. And I feel bad about that, but it's genuine. I, I look at the list and maybe I'm creatively just tired and don't have a lot of energy. I don't know, but I look, I looked at the games on the slate for this weekend and it was like, there's like two I care about. And that's that's rare for me. So I don't know if I have no creative energy because I'm tired. I don't know what's up, but expect some kind of preview content for this weekend uh, in the next episode. Next episode, going to be the Friday episode. Thursday Night Football, Patreon questions. Trent Dilfer got hired by UAB. Um, there's one other thing. It's in my notes somewhere. I'll look at it later. Weekend storylines. That's one other piece of news that I want to break down in that episode. Anyway, guys, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Uh, I'm going to go edit this and then take a nap. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.